Welcome to the Inner Dominatrix Podcast, the show that gets you stepping into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. I have a very fun guest today. I have twisted his rubber arm and brought him on board to talk about um, one of my favorite topics, and that is being judged. And he has a fabulous story around this that he's allowed me, very generously allowed me to kind of poke and prod at. So Kevin Calhill is a, let me just get my hip bio open here. He's an international best-selling author, change management specialist, and motivational speaker. He's a native to Ontario. Ontario, Canada, so he's not that far away from me physically, holds a biomechanical science degree and on his way, oh, in the past, worked his way to the top 1% of financial planners. Now, that is quite an accomplishment. Um, but, you know, overall, I just, I think Kevin is quite an inspirational person, more from a personal level, you know, and the fact that what he's gone through recently, well, actually not all that recently, is it, Kevin? It's, you know, he said you finished up in 2009. So sometimes that can feel recent, but I want you to share with the listeners a little bit about where you've come from, and then let's give them a little nugget on this story that I want to inspire them with. (laughs) Sure thing. And thanks, Dana, for having me on your podcast. And I always love when individuals deviate from the bio because the bio is obviously written marketing speak. And it's always so much better when you can dive into to just the personal anecdotes. So it's it's interesting. And it's probably been a few weeks since I've heard my bio read specifically. And to me, it's fascinating that I'm here talking about, you know, basically public shaming and judging. And I remember it was, it was the beginning of 2009. I I literally was on top of the world making multiple six figures a year. And one of my staff members charged me with, uh, first accused me of sexual assault. And it was beginning of January. I was actually in Windsor when I got the phone call from a, a higher up within an insurance company to let me know what was going on. And I was supposed to be flying to Tampa Bay for a golf trip. Uh, he advised me to get back to Guelph. I did. I came back to Guelph, contacted the police, made sure that they had every single available way to contact me and called my lawyer. My lawyer said, Kevin, 99 times out of a hundred, you're going to be charged. Um, you're probably going to go to court and you're going to be convicted because that's just the way it works. And so this was even before I'd heard from the police that my lawyer just, he really set up the, the scene for me. And so that was January, 2009. And I waited, I waited seven weeks before the Guelph police actually called me. And they had gone that time. They had been interviewing various people that, that knew me and, or that knew um, her specifically, mm-hmm. and finally called me to let me know that I was going to be charged, uh, invited me. You know, they didn't send a, a police officer to arrest me or anything like that. They invited me to come down to the police station on my own um, opportunity. And it was interesting because how it played out at the police station was exactly how my lawyer said it was going to play out, is they tried to get me to say that I was guilty. They tried to say that if you know if you don't do this, then you're going to have to go through all of this. And it was really the fear tactics. And we see this so common in our legal system that everything is driven by fear. And um, so I held my ground. I maintained my innocence. We went to court. 
And it was just a, a dog and pony show type of a process because again, it was the same thing where, you know, her story, million holes were poked through it and the crown tried to get me to admit that I was guilty over and over and over again. But, you know, I'm a little more educated and strong than the average person they see in a courtroom. And I just, I held my ground. And I, I remember my, one of my last lines was to the crown attorney saying, well, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but that's not what happened. And at that point, she just threw her, her arms up in the air, gave up. And we're feeling really confident because one story was completely destroyed and the other story was, was solid. But we went back to court in October of 2010. So now we're approaching probably almost two years from the original accusation. And the judge started his deliberation. We were feeling really strong, really confident. And the judge then basically said that my story was too confident and too calm and he didn't believe it. So therefore, when there's only two stories and one has been discounted, he has to believe the story that had the holes in it. So at that moment, there was a finding of guilt. We, it devastated me because here yeah. I was faith in the justice system and uh, left the courtroom. I was completely destroyed. We filed an appeal right away. We went back to court two months later for the sentencing. And at that point, the judge, knowing that we had already filed the appeal, uh, knowing that there was no grounds for a conviction to stick, he gave me a conditional discharge. And basically what that meant is as long as I was a nice person for a year and didn't get in trouble again, that I would have no criminal record, I would walk free, you know, as a free man. But the biggest part of the story was that the Guelph Mercury, our local newspaper, published the, the article twice on the front page of the paper. And Guelph's a small town, 100,000 people. I was a big fish in a small pond, uh, vice chair of the Guelph Chamber of Commerce at the time, uh, coaching minor hockey for years. And it, it really, it, it totally, completely floored me. And not really having the tools inside on how to deal with all of it, I did all I knew what to do. And that was hyper-focused on my work. So, you know, I ignored my doctor's recommendations to take time off and to work <laughs> on myself and to mm -hmm. make sure that my, in essence, my Jenga block of life was solid. And I just hyper-focused. And it was interesting because the year after I was publicly shamed in the newspaper was my best year of my career. Oh, I wow. sold more insurance than I ever could possibly. I had more money. I was, you know, traveling all over the place. And that lasted probably for a couple of years where I, I ignored the world. I head down and, you know, basically that I'm 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Nobody can stop me. And it was August of 2013 where everything came crashing down. I had tried so hard. I pushed so hard. And eventually it was actually... It's the, my day started in Seattle getting off a cruise ship when U.S. Customs dragged me and interrogated me into a small room for two hours because Amer they found out, even though I didn't have a criminal record, they found out and they wanted to know the whole story. So although I had spent you know, two and a half years ignoring the story, 
it brought it all back up again. And wow. my Jenga block of life came crashing down. And it's been over the last, uh, you know, we're four, say four and a half years where day by day, you know, I've had to focus on myself, get stronger, uh, to be able to get to that point where the story doesn't affect me anymore. But I spent so many years fighting the story, fighting, being a victim of my own story and not, not really facing the, the details of it. So that's the, the, the longer version of the short story. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard to wrap up a, a big story like that into a couple of minutes, but you've done a great job of summing it up. And I mean, it just like, there's so much in here that I really want to shine a light on you. First of all, in court, you were really able to hold your space in, in knowing who you are and not letting the, the it is a very fear-driven system. And for you to actually stay true to who you are is tremendous. It's unfortunate that then that is seen as, as too cocky and too confident and so not believable. That's, a, that, that's kind of warped in a way. Well, the, judge, the exact words the judge used is that he found me glib. And in the moment, I didn't actually know what glib mm. meant. I had to Google the definition. <laughs> and I remember my lawyer saying, he said, Kevin, you sell life insurance for a living. Of course you're glib. You're well-spoken. Mm -hmm. You're highly educated. Anyone who knows you would say you're glib. And you're speaking from a place of truth and confidence by telling the truth. Of course it's going to sound natural and calm, right? There was no, mm -hmm. there was no shaking me because I wasn't lying. And yeah. because it wasn't lying, it was a solid, confident story. I was just speaking my truth. But, you know, and I, the biggest part is, is the judge also said I was glib in my reaction to the Crown Attorney. And it's interesting. I faced this so many times where we live in this, this society where there's this hierarchical of um, titles. Mm -hmm. And just because you're a judge or just because you're a doctor or just because you're a lawyer, the, the commoners are supposed to implicitly respect and bow down <laughs> and grass mm -hmm. where I wasn't because right. this person was just trying to talk me in circles. So the judge didn't like the fact that I had no respect for the crown attorney. So I, in all honesty, I look back, I get with the judge why he decided what he did because if I were in that position, I probably would do the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. And it's like, there's also, I mean, if we back up the story with everything that's going on with the Me Too campaign, this is, it's kind of really highlighting. I think that there's a lot of men who are scared to have this exact situation happen to them where there's a woman who's upset with them and they decide to just cry wolf because you are, it's the, the pendulum has swung so far over to the other side where you're believed even without evidence, even without, you know, rationalized believability. It's, it's gone too far. So what, would, what advice would you have for men who are possibly facing this? Well, and it's interesting. And then one of the things that, especially over the last four and a half years, that I dove into the philosophers of all time, right? Going back 5,000 years ago. And this is, this is nothing new. We've <laughs> had this, and I feel like, I can't remember if we had this conversation or not, but this is just what it is today. Mm -hmm. And the biggest message is honestly, is the women behind the Me Too campaign, I wish they could see 
history or I wish they could see the future. Because if you think about it, like it wasn't that long ago where we publicly shamed and sent away women that got pregnant out of wedlock or people that got divorced mm -hmm. or people that had affairs. And all of those, those individuals from say, probably as recent as 30, 40 years ago, the shame and the guilt that they brought onto themselves, their lives were ruined. Mm -hmm. And this is what it is now. And it is, it's so easy. I remember the first line in the uh, disclosure document when I went into court was the victim saying, he has become too big and too cocky and someone needs to teach him a lesson. Well, to me, that isn't what actually should be the basis of a decision. Right. But we have that. And what you said is, you know, there's, it's so easy to cry wolf or it's so, you know, I think about the, the nursery rhyme, chicken little. It's mm -hmm. so easy to be a chicken little in our society. And social media has, it's given a voice to the voiceless, but the voiceless haven't actually appreciated the magnitude of the responsibility they have mm -hmm. with their voice. And it is, is we're living in a world where it's, you know, you're guilty in the court of public opinion and it doesn't actually matter. And to me, it's fascinating when you think about all through time, the different public shamings we've had that this is nothing new. It's just what it is today. And I, to me, I find it fascinating that I went through it nine years ago because now I stand, you know, hopefully as a beacon towards not only to, to, to men and to women, but to all of humanity. And I think this is one of the things that I've learned the most is the more we separate and divide and we think that moral shamings work, but really all they do is they set us up to divide. Mm -hmm. And there's so many worse issues that are happening in our society that need to be addressed. And it all comes down to imbalance of power. Yeah. And that's really where whenever there's an imbalance of power, well, the common thought is to take back the power, but then we end up going to the other side of power. And then all we end up is the exact same situation. Yeah. And just in reverse, which is not a solution at all. No, you know, and, and a lot of things that's, I was soul bonds is things that we're doing today. We have to pay the price in 50 years or a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And we, we don't think about that long-term concept, right? And, it wasn't that long ago that slavery was accepted in North America <laughs> or that women didn't vote, right? So we're just real people having real experiences at real times. And it's this constant evolution. But the only way to really deal with it properly is through compassion and, and kinship and love and, and camaraderie and solidarity. And personally, also, I think media has had their place in our time in society. And it's time that they get out of the bedrooms and the lives of humans as well, because they're not reporting the true story. No. The, that original article for me, it was altered 12 times because they didn't report the facts. Wow. Yeah. The, you know, the media has all become about, well, how do we sell? How do we sell what we have and what sells? It's all the sensational news and and then you know we know that i mean that's a whole nother topic right the whole <laughs> journalistic you know they've lost their funding and so now there isn't being you know they're not investigating anything they're handed something and then they just print it yeah which is a whole other issue but i want to come back around to like did you talk on resiliency and you know was the resiliency piece before or after your trial 
uh, well, I would say it's only been the last two years, so I'll really try and do the Coles notes on this one. Uh, <laughs> oh <dear. laughs> 2004, I entered the financial world. My father-in-law, who was my best friend, passed away. Uh, he owned a multi-million dollar business. It really shattered. I, we were brand new married, and so my, my son's mom's dad uh, died within three months of us getting married. A year after that, my mom died while on vacation. Uh, then we had our son. Then we got divorced uh, in the first or separated in the first six months. Then, uh, in the same week, actually, that I was accused of sexual assault, my father was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, my ex-mother-in-law sued me for one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. Wow. I go through the trial. A dad actually passed away right before the trial. Um, and then, you know, post-trial, let's see, uh, smashed my head, left me with my seventh post-concussion, or concussion, which I'm still dealing with the effects now, four years later. Uh, claimed bankruptcy, went through cancer, lost everything, hell, I mean, life went to hell in a handbag. And it's, it's been all of that learning that has really led me to this point. And the last two years since my cancer surgery have been the most, the calmest, where, you know, I just feel like, that it's a very peaceful world that I'm, I'm living in. And I joke that, you know, the silent hand of the universe became the silent shove of the universe, which became the silent kick of the universe, which became <laughs> the silent sledgehammer over the top of the head of the universe. Yes. Has all led me along those learnings. And it's one, you know, I remember, I remember the moment when I was diagnosed with cancer, I laughed because I really, I just looked up and said, all right, I get it. I get it. I, I get that I have not been paying attention. So as of now, I'm going to start paying attention. I'm gonna get out of my own way and I'm going to let the universe flow as it will because every time I've tried to get in my own way, something <laughs> yes. has happened. <clears throat> wow, okay. So yes, you definitely weren't paying attention to the nudges and, uh, and no, I can't relate at all. I've never had the universe, you know, shove me off the cliff or anything. So, <laughs> you know, but it, we, you know, I love the fact, I love the fact that you listened, you finally got it. And then, you know, so now you're, you are following that flow and you are dropping into that, what I call surrender to the universe. And I don't know about you, but I think things end up flowing and working out a lot better when you surrender. They do. And I find the, the, the concept of resistance is fascinating because, and I don't know who said it once through time, but it's true. Whatever we resist persists. persists. Mm -hmm. And to me, and I'll remember it, it was down in Niagara Falls. I met this individual at a, a Mo Mondays in Niagara. And he said to me, uh, Kevin, as soon as you stop being a victim to your story and start standing on your story and being a victor, you're always going to be facing the same thing. And it was one of those powerful moments that, you know, I, I look around that to me, it's fascinating because you can tell the difference in the language, the difference between those who are in their story versus those who are on their story. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to lash out and react and try and take down everyone around you when you're in your story. But there always comes that moment of reckoning when you dive into yourself and you see the brokenness and you see that hole and you see that, that emptiness. And then you finally understand to love that emptiness 
because by loving that emptiness, by loving that hurt, by loving that brokenness, you're able to help others. And to me, it's especially hearing so many speakers on a regular basis, when someone is a victim to their story, the people in the audience aren't actually listening to the story because they're trying to, how can I fix that person? How mm-hmm. can I help that person? And they're not even listening to the story where those that are standing on their story impact the audience so much greater because it leaves the audience with a true me too. I, I can get through my shit and be mm-hmm. like that person as well. Yeah, I, I- I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I've seen the range of speakers too, that there is such a big difference. You know, somebody doesn't have to be the most proficient speaker, but if they have actually been through their story, not still in it, you know, they've been through it, they've let go of that victim piece, which I I completely agree. That is such a huge piece. It's like, we have to let go of being a victim. When we let go of that and we start to say, okay, what were the gifts and how can I share this with others? That's what inspires people. It is. And it's, I know um, my, my, my learning journey has just, to me, it's been fascinating because I look back and I'm, I'm completely in awe of my own learning because it, it's, it's more than I could have ever gotten any university course. And I remember it was one day, it was a summer, probably two, well, it's clearly not today, but probably two or three years ago I wrote and I had that, I basically remembered that the only reason I'm even here today alive is because my father tried to kill my mother. And I wrote that article as a blog and it was so, it was that reminder that everything happens for a reason. And it's not up to us to ask why did it happen, but to appreciate that it actually did happen. Mm. Oprah's Mm. is a very, she speaks about it often that the only reason she's alive is that her father raped her mother. And yet look at the impact she's had on life. And, you know, so many people have been left for, you know, dead or they should never have been here under our circumstances in society. Yet they use their story to stand on it and go change the world. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying that any of those behaviors are acceptable, No, but it comes down to, it happened and there's nothing you can do about what happened is mm-hmm. what you do going forward. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, I'm always encouraging people to, <clears throat> instead of going into, you know, why did this happen to me to start looking and saying, what are the gifts out of this? And, you know, maybe you wouldn't want to relive it, but what if there was nothing wrong with it so that we can move past it? Right. And yeah, it's, I, love, I love how you just phrase that because it's so true. Find, find the gifts in the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. I, I have, you know, there's so much in my story that uh, I really truly can see the gifts of what happened. Would I have liked to have gotten those gifts to, in a different manner? Sure. Would I have? Probably not. I, I say it often that I wouldn't wish what I experienced on my worst enemy, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade them for the world. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the gifts that come out of it, you know, you're standing on your story. And so now there's the ability to inspire other people because of what you've been through. You're able to talk with a lot more authority about, you know, standing in adversity, standing and, you know, going through whatever challenges come up, but still staying true to who you are and, and being able to still make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. 
that it's not what happens to us, it's what we do with it, which is very trite and at the same time, very true. <laughs> and it's fascinating because, and I spoke about it, uh, I don't even know what data, so maybe 10 days ago, that when you're in the shit pile, mm -hmm. it's impossible to hear a statement like we both just said and believe it. Yes. It's only when we're through the shit pile that it actually makes sense. And you know, and I know there's, there were, there were so many times through that journey where I was, why me? Why, why am I the one going through this? What, what did I do? Why was, why am I being forced to carry this burden? But then you find out, oh, okay, that's why I had to go through it so that I can be here and be here now. Yeah. Yeah. And I you know what I'd say if, if people are in that shit pile, to just to trust that there's so many people who are talking the same story that, you know, there's something that's come, good that's going to come out of it. It always does. You always land on your feet. You know, the universe or God or however you want to call that has your back. And, and maybe it doesn't look all that good. I, I, I still like my analogy of the universe is my dominatrix because sometimes, you know, the universe is a little nasty, comes along and smacks you upside the head of the two by four. That's not something that a, you know, a loving parent would do. No, no, no. That's a dominator. You're not paying attention. But it's for your own good. It's to harden you up so that you can go and be strong and be big in the world. That's how I see it. Maybe a little warped. I, I would agree with you. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it helps me in that it's like, you know, those days where it's just not that great. It's like, oh, okay, today is a day where we get to scrub the floors. Great. You know, that's what it is. It's a bit of a work hardening day. <laughs> yes. yes. Right. Cool. So just in kind of, you know, closing here, we have, you know, a few more minutes, but if you had one message to get out into the world, what would you want people to know? For the last year, maybe year and a half, every post, everything I write, I always ended off with, gaining clarity, love the life you were meant to lead. And it, it sums up everything that life is, is as every step of the way, we are seeing a path open up in front of us, one brick at a time, one block at a time, one light beam at a time. And to truly understand that regardless of what we think we want to accomplish, or what we write down, and I know my Facebook feed is filled with this right now, <laughs> goals for 2008, or, sorry, yes. 2018, um, I'm 10 years behind. <laughs> no matter what we write down, it is not up to us. All we can do is take one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, because there are going to be those two by fours coming out of left field that are going to throw us for a loop. And it's being able to find that resilience, find that courage, and finding the faith. And, you know, I was born and raised Roman Catholic, and like all good Roman Catholics, I fell away from the church. But it has been refinding my spirituality and that belief that there, there is a power greater than ourselves. And regardless of the name you call it, whether it's you know, Buddha or God or universe or nature or spirit or whatever, mm -hmm. that there is a higher power. And when you have a faith life, 
life gets so much easier. But I find, especially in the world, you know, there's, there's this misconception about the difference between what religion is and what faith is. But faith is, is that beacon of light that will show you the path, that will pull you forward when you just want to throw your hands up into the air and scream and swear and, you know, accuse others and take down others and eat others. It's that, <laughs> that light that we can all find. We can all find the peace in the silence between all of the thoughts we have going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Now you have uh, a very interesting program that you're, if, if you launched this or is it just launching the change your focus? So it's been uh, launched probably for two, two and a half years now. Oh my goodness. Uh, okay. 90 day online course. It's actually, it's, it, it's what helped me through when I released my last book in May of 2015, I realized that releasing the book and it became a bestseller and all those other awesome things. But there was such a process internally that I had to go through. Mm-hmm. And the day after the book was released, I decided to take everything that I worked through and worked on and created a 90 day course out of it. And for the first year I charged for it. And for the last year I've been giving it away for free to anybody who actually wants to. It's a, it's a commitment that, you know, we, we hold those who are interested in going through it uh, accountable through the process, but it, it helped it, it helped me. I'm alive today because of it, and I know it's helped so many others that have actually gone through the program as well. That's fantastic. So where do people find that? Front page right at the top of my website, kevintcahill.com. Awesome. Oh, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, sharing your inspiration. It's such a delight to have somebody who is um, willing to be raw and vulnerable with me. Thank you again for inviting me to, uh, to take part. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Inner Dominatrix. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to tell your friends. And for more, join the Facebook group, Access your inner dominatrix. Till next time, have fun.